0: So, we've been working through the life of Joseph. Um, I hope, you know, that, that you guys that were able to make it to the refresh, you know, you were actually renewed and refreshed by the time we spent. We stayed up too late. You guys played really hard. PJ took some naps. He was, he was, he was refreshed a couple of times. And, and showers, showers were refreshing. But I hope that it was a, a good time for you all and a good challenge from God's word. So, uh, back to Joseph. In Joseph, the theme has, it's been all about having a high level of integrity in the midst of terrible, difficult circumstances, right? That's the life of Joseph. Things are good, then things are terrible. Things are good again, then they're, they're even worse. And, and his life just continually took these downturns, and, and Joseph held a high level of integrity the whole time. His, his character was unflawed. His integrity was held intact. All right and we saw that and we and we continue to see that. And Troy mentioned you know there's a battle for our hearts. Right? Remember this this world system is battling for your heart. Satan is battling for your heart. God wants your heart. Right? And and the protector of our hearts, the the gatekeeper of our hearts is our mind. Right? What we allow in our minds directly affects what we believe in our hearts, right? And so it's very important that we go to what God has to say so that we're believing the right things. They've messed your order all up, Ryan. It's a mess, man. Sorry, everybody look up here. Don't, don't pay attention to that. I'll be the only one distracted. That's fine. So tonight we're going to look at Joseph in the midst of, you know, the first three struggles we saw from, the first of the three struggles we saw from the, fresh, the refresh. The, those struggles were that we all struggle with seduction, right, temptation, that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to see Joseph and Potiphar's wife. If you know the story, you know exactly where we're going. Uh, the second thing that we saw was stagnation, right? We get stagnant sometimes in our walk with the Lord. We, we hit a plateau, and we stop growing, and we stop being challenged, and we stop listening, and all of those things, and we need something to kickstart us. And then the third challenge that we saw over the weekend was was self-admiration, right? The, the battle with pride, and, and we all have that. And so, again, we're going to look at the first one tonight. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into the other ones again as we move through Joseph's story. But uh, we're going to begin a few verses before tonight's passage to kind of build a little context. We're going to start in Genesis 39, verse 5, and we're going to read 5 and 6 here real quick just to build the context to see what's going on in Joseph's life before uh, this interaction with Potiphar's wife. It says in verse 5, it says, It came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, that's Potiphar making Joseph overseer of his house, And over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not, ought he had, save the bread which he did eat. He had no idea how wealthy he was because he gave Joseph sole authority over all of it. Other than the bread that crossed his plate. Right? And Joseph, check this out, was a goodly person and well favored. Right? So what we've seen from the life of Joseph so far is he started off the father's favorite. Right. He was on the mountaintop. He was on a, on a peak. He was, he was the favorite son, beloved of his father, and then his brothers beat him up and sold him into slavery. So he goes from mountaintop to valley, and then from the valley he, he holds to his integrity, and God places him on another mountaintop. He's, he's now in charge of everything that Potiphar owns. Right, he is the top guy, other than Potiphar, in this area of, of Egypt. And so, you know, sometimes the, the ascent up the mountain takes a long time, and then the descent down the backside of the mountain happens pretty rapidly, doesn't it? Gravity assists quite a bit when, when life starts unraveling, and, and, and we see some of that happening here. So let's go ahead and pick up in verse 7. Uh, we'll read through verse 12, and, and that'll be our passage for tonight. It says, And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. Right? And she wasn't just wanting to lay down. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, what not what is with me in the house? He, he, he doesn't even know everything that I have here. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her, or to be with her. And it came to pass at this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and fled, and got him out. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we all struggle with temptation from time to time. We all have uh, things that are, that are pulling on us that we know you don't want us to have any part of. And tonight we're seeing that in the life of Joseph and we see again him come through with high integrity and we want to be just like that. So Lord, I just pray that you would take this message, take this story of Joseph and help us to see exactly how do we deal with temptation in our lives. How can we look at Joseph and the example that he puts on display for us? How can we be like that and, and glorify you uh, through the midst of trials and temptations? Lord, we want to do that. We want to be those uh, kind of followers and believers and sons and daughters. We want to we glorify you. Uh, help us to follow your word. Help us to be changed, to be more like you. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so what we see in the text is an, it's an excellent template for us in dealing with temptation in our own lives, right? Joseph does three things to avoid falling prey to temptation in his life. right, so he's able to hold on to his integrity without compromise. Excuse me, so let's look and see what he did and see if we can apply that to our own lives. The first thing that we see is, the first thing we need to do is look at the word temptation. That's your first blank there. And we're gonna look and see how the the Bible describes or defines this word. We get a good description, a, a very full description, In James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin." And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So there's, there's some important details we see in this passage. The first thing we see is that temptation is a trial, right? A temptation is just a, another a different word for a trial. The second thing we see is that God will not tempt you or me to do evil, right? God is not interested in putting you on a trial with your outcome being wickedness or sin. He's not going to tempt you to, to do evil, and the third thing is that temptation is, is tied to your own lusts, all right? So the first time we see this word ever in Scripture, we see the word tempt, is in Genesis 22, verse 1. There's a, a law of first mention. It gives you the, the first context of the usage of this word. And the first time we see it, it says, in Genesis 22, 1, it says, And it came to pass, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I, or here I am. Right, and the rest of this story is he's, he's calling Abraham and testing Abraham's faith to see if Abraham trusts God. Abraham has been given his one and only son, his son of promise, and God says, will you give him back to me? Will you sacrifice him back to me? Right? Now God isn't tempting him, he's testing him, he's not trying to get Abraham to sin. This is a trial. Do you believe in me? God's saying, do you believe the promise that I made to you? Do you believe that I can come through and keep my promise. And, and and we see later in Hebrews that, that absolutely Abraham believed that. All right, so part of this is, is a trial. It's, it's a test. Um, and, and he's testing Abraham's faith and obedience the first time we see that word. In uh, the New Testament, we see men tempting God. All right, and, and this is always a bad idea. Every time we see it, Luke 10, 25, it says, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying, and, and he goes on and, and tries to, to trick Jesus with questions. John chapter eight, verse six, this said, they or this they said, tempting him, this is some Pharisees, and it says that they might have to accuse him, right? So they're trying to tempt Jesus, they're trying to trick him into saying the wrong thing so that they can use the law to put him away. And then way back in Exodus chapter 17, Verse seven, it says, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, which means bitterness, because of the chiding or the complaining of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, and this is how they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? All right, and so the, the way that man always tempts God is, is in doubt, right, in faithlessness, God has made promises. God has come through on all of those promises and man says, well, I don't even think God's here. I don't, I don't even think he hears us. I don't even think he's, he's present even though he's promised that he was. And so I'm not sure if you're noticing this, but temptation is always connected with truth. Temptation is always connected with what God said. God's gonna tempt us and say, do you believe what I said? Satan's gonna tempt us to get us away from what God said. So I get it in your sheet Here. Uh, there's some blanks It says, when God tempts us, or when God tempts, when God tempts, he puts us on trial to prove to us the truth of his word and our faith in it. So when God tempts, he puts us on trial to prove us, or prove to us, the truth of his word and to prove whether or not we have faith in what he said. Right. The next one is when Satan tempts us, he puts us on trial to get us to doubt the truth of God's Word. There's always going to be a connection to God's Word. And when we tempt God, and any man that's ever tempted God in Scripture, it's always in an attempt to twist God's Word or to catch God in, in, in some sort of a lie. Right? They're trying to use the law against Christ, the Word of God. Good luck, fellas. That's not going to go well for you. All right, so it's always connected to God's word. That's really important. All right, so we'll come back to that point in a little bit. So back to Joseph. We're, We're supposed to be talking about Joseph. We'll get on to the point here. We know what temptation is. It's a trial. It's a test. Do you believe what God said? Satan wants to tempt us and try us and make life difficult and pull us away from what God said. And so the first thing that Joseph did in order to make it through this temptation, letter one, or letter one, that's nonsense. Number one, I was like, it's an I on my, it's a Roman numeral, I'm sorry. Number one, he feared the Lord. Your, your blank is feared, all right? So Joseph, it says he refused. Well, how do you refuse? He had the right perspective, right? He had the right perspective going in. And let's look at uh, Genesis 39 again. And it it came to pass after these things, after what things? After he was elevated into a higher position of authority, right? After these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me, but he refused. And he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not? He's unaware what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife. Okay, so Joseph has the right perspective so far. That's my master. You are his wife. Everything else I got control over. Those two, none of my business, right? That's not mine. But check it out. He's not concerned about Potiphar coming down on him, is he? Check out his perspective. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No, sin against God. Right? He had the fear of God in him. He understood where the consequences lie. Right? He understood who he would be actually sinning against. God's the one that created the sanctity of marriage. God's the one that created that union. God's the one that allowed Joseph to be put in this position of authority in the first place. I'm not messing with the guy who's taking care of me, right? I've been on mountaintop and valley and mountaintop, and God's gotten me through it all. I'm not sinning against God, right? Joseph has the right perspective. He fears the Lord. And this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is is a really cool study if you ever want to do it. There's a ton in the Proverbs. We'll see a few of those here in a minute. But one time we see this is in 2 Chronicles 19, 9. It says, he charged them, saying, thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord faithfully, and with a perfect heart. The fear of the Lord is something that's going to connect you with faithfulness and a perfect or a mature heart. Man, we want to have that. I, I want that in my life. I want to be growing mature with the Lord. I, Lord, I want to have a perfect heart. The fear of the Lord's going to get you there. Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding. Amen. How did Joseph depart from evil? How did Joseph deal with this? How did he say I refuse because he had the fear of the Lord in his life. He understood the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14:27 The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Proverbs 16:6 6, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 19, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Man, you've got to know that Joseph, a young man with like passions to other young men, who's being come onto by this most likely very attractive woman, you know, it's it's not going to be the case that a general in high up in Egypt's world is going to have an uggo for a wife, right? It's just probably not going to be the case, right? He's just, it's just probably not the case, right? It probably wasn't the case that Joseph was like, you are just nasty, get away from me, right? Joseph probably had some struggles, some temptations. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called temptation, right? It'd be called, you know, Potiphar's nasty wife won't leave me alone. I don't know. <laughs> he was able to abide satisfied and not drawn into those temptations. That's a big deal. And it's because he had the fear of the Lord in his life. Amen. Proverbs twenty three seventeen. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Amen. So you know, Joseph could have probably gone for it, right? Could have gotten away with it until Potiphar's nasty wife got tired of him, right? You know he was probably lonely. You know there was probably temptation there. Satan has been at this longer than we've been around, right? At least as long as humanity has been around. He understands human nature. He understands our struggles. He understands very well how to put together the course of this world, right? The course of this world is designed to pull you in and keep you from Christ. He understands how to mess with us. And he's not messing with Joseph in a way that just wouldn't work. But Joseph has the remedy, right? He has the way out. Joseph, he refused. So how do we refuse temptation? We saw this uh, over the weekend. Turn to Matthew Chap- or chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We'll read this, this passage here. Joseph being this awesome picture of Christ, let's go ahead and see how Christ himself dealt with temptation. What did he do when, when Satan took him to the wilderness to tempt him, to get him to do things out of God's timing? The funny thing is, Satan Satan actually quotes Scripture here. He doesn't misquote it. Uh, necessarily, he misquotes the timing. It's all God's timing, and, and it's not time for any of these things to come to pass. So, if Christ would go ahead and fall for any of these temptations, which obviously obviously he didn't, but if he would have gone for any of those things, he would have been in disobedience to the Father, because it's God's timing for these things to come to play, and and Christ knew that. So, in uh, Matthew chapter four, verses one through eleven, it says, "Then was Jesus led of the led up of the Spirit." into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. 40 minutes, and I'm hungry. So, Yeah, he's got it figured out. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. All right, so the first temptation, check out Christ's answer, excuse me. But he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So there's a temptation, and Christ's response is Bible verse. Interesting. Verse 5, Then the devil taketh him unto a holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We just read that verse, right? And again, temptation, Bible verse, that's the response, the word of God. Verse 8, And again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me, then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. Okay, he didn't quote scripture there. He's just trying to get Christ to, to bow down to him. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil le- devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. So how do we refuse temptation? With the fear of God and the truth of the word of God that's how we do it right temptation toward evil is nothing more than lies it's always connected to truth temptation to draw you to do something evil to do something sinful is always going to be against what God says is okay it's always going to be trying to convince you to compromise to just do it once to just try it it's not that bad Joseph recognized the lie didn't he Right, the, the world, the flesh, the devil want you to believe you're in control. Want you to believe that, that you're on this earth to be satisfied. Right? Joseph corrected her with truth. What did he say? To lie with her would be great wickedness and sin against God. Joseph didn't fall for the lies. And all of this brings us to point number two. The second thing that he did was that he focused on the truth. right, he feared the Lord first and foremost. The second thing he did, he focused on the truth. Now it doesn't have, there's nothing written here that says Joseph was quoting scripture to Potiphar's wife. Get thee hence, Satan. I don't 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 know if he said that, but but I do know all all of the other passages that we have that, that support this understanding of what temptation is and how we deal with it. That's that's what we're called to do. So back in verse 10 of Genesis 39, it says, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Isn't temptation just like that? How it comes day by day. It's it's never like, you know, I was tempted one time, and and I said, nah. And then so... So I never struggled again. It was cool. Yeah, I remember, I remember being tempted. That was like sixth grade camp or something. And uh, I've been good ever since. No, it doesn't work like that, right? It, it comes day by day. Sometimes, minute by minute, right? That, that thing just keeps coming because Satan knows if he can just wear you out on that thing, you'll give in, won't you? You know, repetition is the key to learning repetition is also the key to unlearning, right, or or starting to believe a lie. If you tell yourself a lie enough times, you're going to start believing it. If Satan tells you a lie enough times, and you stand close enough to that thing, you might just start believing it. Day by day, she was tempting him, but he resisted, right? It says that he hearkened not. It's not a a word we use very often. To hearken means to listen, to obey, to submit. Man, we often act like if we're in temptation, specifically the day-by-day stuff, it's just only a matter of time before we just fall down and fail. It's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. And that's not at all what Joseph put on display, is it? Day-by-day, and he hearkened not. How do you do that? Well, day by day, you guys are bombarded. We are all bombarded with a bunch of garbage, right? Social media, regular media, anything that's out there wants you to fall back into the course of this world, to stay in the course of this world, to not believe what God has to say. Romans 13, 14 gives us the template here. This is is how we deal with this. The first part we're going to look at right now, we'll look at the second half in a little bit, but put ye on, he says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So how is it, so if we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, if we're not going to fall into temptation, how do we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? What in the world does that even mean? John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word with a capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All capital W, right? So who is the Word? Let's look in John 1, 14, and it plugs in the, the rest of the information here. It says, and the Word, capital W, was made flesh. That's Jesus Christ, right? He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. We see that again in John 3:16, Full of grace and truth. So who's the Word? It's Jesus, right? How do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? You put on his word, right? You put your you put his word in you. You put his word on you by putting it in you. 1 Corinthians 2:16 it says, "For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." Do you know where we find the mind of Christ? It's in his word. His mind has been preserved for us. The capital W Word, right, we find in the Word of God. We find Jesus Christ in His Word. We find His mind. We put His mind in our mind. We put on Christ. Colossians 3.10 says, "Have, Have put on the new man, which is renewed, how? In knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Remember, your mind is the gatekeeper, protects your heart that allows things to get in or keeps things out right and sometimes that gatekeeper is is doing the wrong thing and he's keeping God out and God wants to put his word in your heart but but you're keeping him out Romans 3 or thirteen, twelve. it says the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness let us put on the armor of light How do we put on the armor of light? Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles or the temptation of the devil. So the rest of that passage goes on to talk about all the different pieces of armor. All of the pieces of armor, pretty much all of the pieces of armor, are parallels for the word of God. How do you equip yourself to go into battle? How do you equip yourself to fight against temptation? How do you put on the armor of God? The same way you put on Christ. You get into his word. You believe what he says. You memorize it. You apply it to your life. Check out Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 20 through 24. It says, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. How do you put on Jesus? You get into the truth. That you put off concerning the former conversation or the lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Deceitful. It's lies. Right? Temptation to sin is convincing you of a lie. Deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We find righteousness and true holiness in the word of God. We use the word of God to move us away from the lies. Right? We're going to use that to put on the armor. We're going to use that to put on Christ. We're going to use that to equip ourselves to handle the day-by-day onslaught of the flesh, the day-by-day onslaught of this world you put it on the new man every single day that's how you do it and then joseph gave us the third key on how to deal with temptation he fled from t- temptation he fled genesis 39 and 11 through 11 and 12 and it came to pass about this time that joseph went into the house to do his business I don't know what his business was, but he was doing that. There was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. And this is my favorite part. He got him out. You got, you got some temptation? You get you out. Right? Some temptation going on. Just get you out. Go. Go right? Joseph got him out, right? If you underline things in your Bible, you should mark Joseph's response here. He left, he fled, he got him out. That's how you deal with temptation. You get away from it. This word flee means to run away, okay? Sounds cowardly, but this is what God commands us to do, it also means to vanish, and it means to shun. I've got a video for us to, to see what this word shun means. All right, the video quality isn't excellent, but... How's it going, man? Yes, I have decided to shun Andy Bernard for the next three years, which I'm looking forward to. It's an Amish technique. It's like slapping someone with silence. I was shunned from the age of four until my sixth birthday for not saving the excess oil from a can of tuna. Jim, could you please inform Andy Bernard that he is being shunned? I'm temporarily lifting the shun. Thank you. It means nothing, I need you to do something for me. Anything. Okay, calm down. I need you to acquire an inflatable house and or castle. You mean a moon bounce? What do you think? You've got an hour. Okay. I'm, I mean, I need petty cash. Shunning resumed. Do you, do you want a drawbridge? Unshun. Yeah, that sounds good. Reshun. Whoa! What's the situation? Unshun. I think he's suffering from depression. Reshun. Okay, when's the shunning thing gonna end? Unshun. Never. Reshun. I think he wants you all to come out to the parking lot and watch him die. It's a nice outside? It's gorgeous. Let's go. Do I need my jacket? No, really, it's very nice. Come on! Will I be too warm in a long sleeve tea? Everyone's gonna be finding exactly what they're wearing! Let's go! <laughs> Alright, so you guys understand what shunning means now? It's Slapping someone with silence or something like that. So here's the point. There actually is a point. Right, so, so to flee is to get away from it. To vanish. When, when temptation shows up, you vanish. When temptation comes you go. And if you can't go, you shun. You put something between you and it, right? There's no unshunning and reshunning. Just all just shun, right? If if the internet is your vice and there are things on there that you can't not look at, then you put something in the way or you get rid of it, right? If you have to have the internet, you put something in the way, some sort of accountability that keeps you from being able to access what trips you up. You shun it, right? Dwight's on to something. You put something between you and it. You keep yourself from that at all costs. That's what he's talking about. Romans 13, 14 again, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. How many things do you allow to just stay in your life that you know are eventually going to trip you up. You just keep walking by them, and walking by them, and day by day, instead of that thing harping on you, you're just walking around it. And you're just letting it be in your life. Paul says, man, make not provision for the flesh. The flesh is going to have a weak day. Why would you put something that trips your flesh up close to it? He says, man, get rid of that stuff. Put something in between you and it. Distance, if nothing else. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth a fornication sinneth against his own body. It's doing damage to you that you don't even realize. This world says, your flesh says, Satan says, that's going to fulfill you. Now, Now, it will feel good for a season, the Bible tells us, but it won't fulfill, right? He's trying to get you to believe a lie. God's telling you the truth right here. That stuff is going to mess you up. It's going to mess you up for good. Do you believe me? Do you believe your flesh? Temptation is pulling on the truth, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14 There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able. So for us to walk through life just saying, you know, that one's going to get me eventually. I might as well just give in. Well, you just disagreed with God. God says the opposite. Somebody, something, has day by day convinced you of a lie. But will with the temptation, also make a way to escape, to flee away, right? That ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. He says to flee. We're to get away from it. When it's around, we're gone. If we can't get away, we put something in between. We place something that holds us accountable between us and it. First Timothy 6:11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. He just got done talking about the love of money and, and about covetousness, putting other things in front of God. Second Timothy 2, 22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow faith, or righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And John ten three through five. This one's pretty awesome. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. You get the point there? Jesus Christ is our shepherd We are the sheep. We ought to be afraid of a voice that is not his. But if you don't take the time to listen to his voice, to get into his word, you're not going to recognize his voice. You're not going to know the difference between his and all the strangers. If you're not listening to him more than you're listening to the world, day by day, you're going to believe something else than what he says. If the world's voice is more familiar than his, you're going to run from the wrong voice. Our goal ought to be that the voice of the Lord is so familiar that the onslaught of the enemy stands out as strange and frightening. We ought to be afraid of the things we see out there. Not because you know, we're afraid, oh man, I'm just I'm just going to fail the first time I hear anything. No because it's wicked, and it's a lie. And it's, and it's pulling our friends and our loved ones and, and damning them to hell. And we need to be afraid enough to get the truth to them. We need to be motivated enough to share the voice of God that we recognize, right? We should be able to know when we hear a lie because day by day, we hear the voice of the Lord. Day by day, we stick close to truth. So that when day by day, this world tries to chip away at you, you say, no, no, that's not true. I know the truth, and that's not it. And you're not gonna get me there. Joseph gave us some pretty cool lessons, didn't he? We're gonna wrap up with just a few more verses. James chapter one. I don't think these are on your sheet, so you might wanna write them down. James chapter one, verses two through four, it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, or diversified temptations, right, miscellaneous, whatever. When you fall into temptations, he says, count it all joy. What in the world is that all about? Verse 3, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When you go through temptations, all right, so, life is full of it, right? There are temptations, there are trials, there are tests. When you go through those things, and you approach them the way that Joseph did, this passage says that you're going to grow up. You're going to mature. You're going to be more perfect, more like more like Christ. Right? You're going to be more like what he wants you to be. So he says, man, when they come along, Troy said something this weekend that was just awesome to me. Because we always approach temptation like, man, I'm going to fail, and it's going to look bad, and then I'm going to be ashamed, and all of these things. Instead... What if temptation was an opportunity for you to put the power of Christ in your life on display for your friends and loved ones? What if you had an opportunity to come through that thing and not fail and not fall on your face and not fulfill your lusts, but instead, Christ got credit for getting you through? Because he's capable. And he promised he wasn't going to give you anything more than you're able to handle with his help. How, do, how does he get credit? Well, you give him credit, because he's the one that got you through, and you give him credit out loud so everybody can see the power of Christ working in your life. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9, it says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, now or though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire... Might be found under the praise and the honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And he's saying that these trials, these temptations, the things that pull on you, God is going to use that, if you approach it the right way, God is going to use that to prove his word is true. To prove that his promises are concrete. To prove you can stand on that, and that is your hope. Satan's going to try and use those things to get you to turn from all of that. He's going to to try to get you to, to disbelieve God's promises. So life, you know, Sometimes we don't even want to read the rest of the story of Joseph because, man, I know what's around the corner is just another valley. I don't want to admit that life has mountaintops and valleys. And, and when I get to the next mountaintop, I just know life is just going to get bad again, and isn't that terrible? Well, guess what? Whether you know it or not, whether you read the story or not, that's how life goes, right? It happens. Wouldn't you rather have God on your side and God equipping you and giving you the ability to walk through that valley with him? To be able to say, he's going to get me to the next mountaintop? Man, I sure do. 2 Peter 2, 9, and we'll stop here. The Lord knoweth how to to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. Do you believe that statement, that the Lord knows how to deliver you out of temptation. He said it. So it's probably time that we start believing it. Now, we don't need to get arrogant. We're placing all our confidence on him. It's never been us clawing our way out of temptation. It feels like it sometimes. And and when you're in the midst of it, man, it's pulling hard. But the promises are there right? Joseph showed us. First of all, you start with the fear of the Lord. You focus on the truth, and you get yourself out. You get him out. Get you out, right? Flee from that temptation, whatever that is. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll we'll do another song, I believe. Lord, thank you, uh, as always, for your word. Thank you that that you do make it clear, I know that it sounds way easier than it is when you're in the midst of that temptation. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be purposeful and intentional, knowing we have weaknesses, that, that right now, knowing our weaknesses, we would put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, we would remove opportunities to fail because we need to prepare because we're not going to be strong every day. We, we certainly know that and our flesh might be stronger other days, and we may struggle with things coming at us day by day. Lord, we need your strength. We need your guidance. We need you to remind us of these principles when we're in the next trial. We need you to help us so that uh, we can get victory, and when we get victory, we will call out your name from the mountaintop because you're the one that got us there. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.